Well, sorry for that, everybody. Welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. I am joined by Lee Camp, comedian, activist, fellow truth seeker. So, um, hey, Lee, thanks for spending some time with us, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, uh, I, you and I were talking, talking right before we went on air about um, about the Fox News interview. So, I did want to kind of cover a few things um, front and center. Obviously, you're a comedian. So, um, you know, you do have some shows coming up, but uh, I just wanted to find out, how did you get started in comedy? Uh, I was doing, I mean, I wanted to be a comedian since I was, uh, you know, since I was like 12 or something, and, mm-hmm. and uh, I started performing in college, and it was all non-political stuff, you know, observational, Jerry Steinfeld, uh, let, sure. me tell you, let me tell you about my dog kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I, I kind of grew and I evolved and um, after years of playing the comedy clubs in New York and touring the country, playing colleges, uh, it just kept growing and becoming more and more political and uh, and it, it's kind of the only type of comedy I want to do now. <laughs> well, I can definitely relate to that. So um, now how did you get, what was the uh, what was the turning point for you? How did you start becoming political? What was what were like some events that woke you up? I know you've mentioned John Perkins' book before in one of your videos. That was one of the um, the anvils on my head. What uh, what kind of got you t- uh, trending towards uh, activism and being more um, more political? Um, yeah, I mean his book was one of the several important books in terms of kind of my awakening to how the world works. Uh, uh, for those who don't know, it's called Confessions of an Economic Hitman was his first book. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but there were, you know, there were several, even, even fiction like Catch 22 and, uh, watching Democracy Now and just kind of getting my news from outside sources, uh, mm-hmm. made a huge difference. And, and, uh, yeah, it, it, it was, it was kind of like, I feel like my education happened after college. It was like I got done with college and then I was like, oh, now I can actually start educating myself on how the world actually works. That's that's what you get from the majority of activists that I talk to. It's it's never anything that you learn in the in the public brainwashing institution, and it's typically never anything that you learn in college. It's the it's the real world application, and then just uh, questioning things. And then once you start questioning, well, damn, how did? What do you mean the Fed gets to print money? What what are you talking about? And then you know typically that'll that'll jump you off the diving board and you into a whole different direction so how did you get involved in the in activism and, and occupy and all those guys um well it, it actually started uh i got an email i started doing the moment of clarity rants you know these mm-hmm. i do these uh, th- three to five minute rants twice a week and a a uh, fairly well-known blogger named david DeGraw contacted me and in 2011 and uh, said you know, I want to try and do this move your move your money occupation thing mm-hmm. on June 14th of that year, and uh, will you make a video kind of promoting it? So I did that, and we then did the move your money on June 14th. Uh, you know, it didn't get that much traction, a little bit maybe, but not that much. And and then kind of it, you know, what what David DeGraw was pushing forward and what several other people were pushing forward kind of coalesced into Occupy, and Adbusters joined on to what they were doing, and. Uh, and that's when Occupy started, uh, September 17th of that year, and, and I was there the first night, and, and it was just great to see it spread around the country. I started doing a lot of videos about it, and then uh, whenever I was in any city, I would go perform at Occupy, and, and uh, I probably ended up performing at a dozen of them, both in the U.S. and Canada, and, and uh, you know, the most amazing people in the world. Absolutely, and it's just the people that understand what what has happened to society 
especially here in the United States and, you know, being in the compartmentalized um, mainstream media, a lot of people don't understand what's really happened to this country. And the people that do, we're, we're kind of looked upon as, as, the, um, as the oddballs, I guess. So what would you say is the biggest misconception about the Occupy movement itself? The biggest misconception, um, I'd say, is that that Occupy, both when it was uh, when occupying was the main tactic, uh, mm-hmm. and now, uh, I said the biggest misconception is that they don't, that they or we or whatever you want to say, don't know what we want and don't know what our demands are. Now, there's definitely an argument to be made that the demands or the the what what we want to change uh, should be limited down. But in terms of, you know, not knowing or, or not voicing demands, I mean, you could walk around any Occupy in any city and get essentially the same ten, you know, eight or ten uh, demands of the system that need to change in order for us to have a, a sustainable system, in order for us to have a system that works for everyone as opposed to just working for a, a small percentage and you know, yes, there were there was the there was the occasional person down at one of the protests that you know wanted to save the dolphins, which mm-hmm. is uh, you know important, <laughs> but but perhaps not the main request. But if you really polled people, it was the same shit. You know, it yeah. was like it was getting getting money out of politics and and uh, you know bringing back Glass Steagall and 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 uh, uh, you know ending the, the the corruption in the in the uh, the political sphere and money and politics has a lot to do with that. Mm-hmm. And so it was really the same things, you know, like uh, it, it, it wasn't – everyone knows that all the wealth is accumulating in the top 1% and that when that happens, eventually it ends in collapse or, you know, worse. And, and like, even the people there know that. Like, if you talk to people on Wall Street, the ones I've spoken to, most of them – understand that it can't go on forever they they just feel like they've got you know if they're lucky they've got another five or ten years of uh you know uh, grabbing all the loot out of the burning building right yeah just they got five more years of absolutely rape in the public before the public figures out what goes on or they completely destroy the system i think you're spot on with both of those conclusions and now um what's front and center on your radar screen obviously you got the nsa stuff coming out you got the the suspicious death of the Rolling Stone reporter. What's what's front and center on in Lee Camp's world right now? Yeah, I mean, I try and look at the the big picture. So the NSA is definitely a a, a very large picture thing to see how uh, how our government, but it's beyond it's beyond our government. It's like the power elite, you know, the mm-hmm. the, the top whatever percentage, point one percent that largely uh, run our, our government and, and our nation are now uh, spying on everything we do and say. And, and like, it, it kind of is outrageous that you, aren't, you don't see more complaints from the American people, that you aren't seeing people in the streets. I mean, when, when, so, when Edward Snowden uh, released that information, I, I definitely thought, I mean, despite being the most cynical person in the world, I definitely thought there was going to be more outrage. But what you see is the media is, is really impressive at, you know, uh, uh, quelling the outrage. It, they, mm-hmm. they, they dump cold water on it quite quickly. And this goes for the quote-unquote left media and the right media. Sure. They, they both say the same things, you know. Well, they'll, they'll have the argument over and over again, is Snowden a traitor? Is he or is he not? You know, the right. left will go, well, maybe he's not. But just by having, just by making that the debate, mm-hmm. they've essentially – taken the anger out of people about what the NSA's done 
and made it this argument about one man. No, you're, you're exactly right. They control the narrative by making the debate about is it legal or is it illegal, not what the fuck is going on? What do you mean everything that I do is being spied upon? What do you mean all this stuff is, is, is getting dumped into a big database and they're having you know, third-party individuals go through and data mine it? What do you guys – and you're exactly right. It doesn't matter if it's the right wing, left wing, wherever you stand on it. If it's a mainstream media issue, they're going to – remember, they're going to support this establishment because that's who funds most of their operations. So they're going to sit there and, and defend it and, and play like uh, political football games or political Ferris wheel is what I call it. You just get on the Ferris wheel. It goes up and down, but you don't really go anywhere, and you just basically talk yourself in a circle. Right, and the other the other thing they love to do uh, is the we already knew all this information game. Oh yeah. Basically, basically as long as they say that, people will just shut up. And mm-hmm. you know, I get a lot of that too. I put up two uh, pretty popular videos uh, for moment of clarity. That's the rants I do. Mm-hmm. And I put two of them up: one about Snowden and Bradley Manning, and one about uh, NSA. And I kept getting these responses of people going, "We already knew all this stuff. We already knew all this stuff." Even if that were true, even mm-hmm. if you like won the argument that all of this was essentially known, mm-hmm. that doesn't that that doesn't that shouldn't end the the anger and the outrage over it. We should all be in the streets, you know, demanding our privacy be returned. Which let's keep in mind, all of this is done under the guise of for the uh, for the uh, uh, to protect us from terrorism, for the mm-hmm. war on terror. Meanwhile, you have twice as many people in America dying from peanut allergies as from terror. You know, probably at least as many dying from uh, texting while driving or, you know, probably ten times as many uh, dying from texting while driving. Yeah, so where is that outrage? Where is the where is the let's give up all our rights to be protected from texting outrage? It does, it, it's absolutely irrational the way we behave, giving up every right that this country has been founded on to be protected from something that you're more likely to get struck by lightning than die from a terror attack. Yeah, and, and the one thing that I, I mention on my podcast a lot is that you're eight times more likely to get killed by a cop than you are a terrorist, but yet when cops pull you over, you feel completely safe because they've got, you know, a shiny, they got a shiny badge on and a costume. So it, it really does speak to the actual psyche of the American public. Now, what do you think causes this? Um, what do you think causes – I've heard many people say that it's um, – it's cognitive dissonance coupled with a couple of other psychological terms, and, and cognitive dissonance means that obviously if a hurricane has never hit New York City, then a hurricane will never hit New York City, and that's kind of the mentality, do you think? What do you think keeps the sheep in their little comfort zone? Well, there's a lot of things. I mean, there's all the media stuff we've been talking about, which, I mean, it's it's not – like, I don't want to act like it's only idiots that believe this stuff. I mean, I, I very much, even when I became kind of more politically awake, I still believed that the left-wing media was based, you know, and if we want to call it that, it's really more... Uh, uh, corporate more, media. More, more corporate more, media. Yeah. Well, but uh, no, no, I don't think all the media is left-wing. I mean, Fox News is as right-wing as they, they, they come. But <laughs> I, I, I was referring to the left-wing, which is a bad term. But let, let's say MSNBC. I used to think that MSNBC uh, cared about what the left wing cared about. But really what they care about is what the corporate Democrats care about. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's where it ends. And they will never go beyond that. And so the, 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 the media like, you know, puts forward these narratives, and very smart people believe them, that those right. are our options. You know? right. uh, those are the only, you know, the, the debate is, as we were saying before, the debate is, is Snowden a traitor or not? The debate is never, 
you know, forget Snowden. How angry should we be over these NSA revelations? Like that, that debate is largely not had. And even if it is had, you know, sometimes people will point me to one 30-second clip going, look, it was covered on CNN. And you're like, look, they have 24-7 news, mm-hmm. and they spent 30 seconds on something I say wasn't covered, and that counts as covering it. Right, I and they probably did it at like 2 o'clock in the morning or 4 o'clock in the morning when their <laughs> entire audience is asleep. Right, right, right. But so beyond the media, I think that, yeah, it is, even though people are very much suffering, and there's more homeless people in New York since, than, than uh, since the Great Depression, mm-hmm. um, even though people are very much suffering, we do have a level of comfort in this country that allows even the suffering people to still have a roof over their head, to still have pretty clean water. You know, they won't get the cancer for 20 years from now. Sure. So uh, they the clean water and, the you know, food that's not actually food, but we all think it's food, so that, that counts. Right. So they all, we all have enough comfort that, that it, it, people aren't angry enough. And then I think the final, the, the final factor is just a learned helplessness. Right. You know, one of my favorite studies, which I guess was done back when you were allowed to harm dogs in your studies, mm-hmm. uh, was they, they took two dogs, and one of them was shocked and had a way to avoid the shocks. And the other one was shocked and had no way to avoid the shocks. And then, it's after they shocked him and the one that could avoid him learned to avoid it quite quickly. Mm-hmm. The one that couldn't avoid it, eventually they gave him a way to avoid the shocks, but he didn't use it. He didn't mm-hmm. care to find out because he learned he was helpless against the shocks. Right. So a dog that's been shocked over and over again and has learned he can't avoid it will stop trying to look for a way to avoid it. So we have decided, and, you know, Occupy getting kicked off the streets is a good example of this. We, I think a lot of Americans have decided that protest doesn't work, that standing up doesn't work, that speaking out doesn't work, that they have to do their, their job and, and, and stick to their, their uh, you know, to, to their day-to-day and, and, and never really fight back. Uh, and that's the only option. Well, it's, it's really sad that, like you said, that even if you, even if you do rally people, like here in Atlanta, we had the big. I mean, it was all over the country. You had the big march on Monsanto and all that stuff. And here in Atlanta, we had um, we had like probably three to five thousand people. And then when the media covered it, it's like, oh, seven hundred people showed up for a little rally. And you know, it couples that with the fact that people are just like you said, they're they're in their comfort zone. I heard a statistic and maybe I was on your interview with Max Kaiser. I don't remember exactly where I get this number from, but it was something like that. Um, even the poorest Americans live better than 80% of the people around the world. So that really does speak to what you're saying is that we we're lucky and blessed to be living in America, but the fact that what America stood for and what it should be and what it should still stand for is being slowly eroded, and then they come out and make um, just bullshit excuses for why they're doing it. We're we're fighting a phony war on terror because we got to sell weapons, and then we got to arm the Syrian rebels that are affiliated with Al Qaeda. I just don't, I don't get what um, what's going on here. So, what do you think the solution is for some of this stuff? Obviously, standing up doesn't work. Are there solutions for the American public? Are there ways for us to really voice our opinion and and well, make change? Well, hold on. Let, let, let me back up and, and address some things. Uh, one thing is, is uh, yeah, I think uh, Max said that 80% number on the interview, and I did get uh, one person email me recently, and she had one good point. Uh, some of what she said I didn't agree with, but she had one good point about when we say that we live better than 80% of the world, mm-hmm. um, that a lot of people use that to uh, to as, as a reason to feel guilty about, like, well, we don't need to stand up. We are living so wealthy. Right. Mm-hmm. Why are we what, – what is there to stand up about? But, of course, 
that's bullshit because right. because the wealth is still getting amassed in, in in a very small percentage. You know, the six heirs of the Walmart fortune have the same amount of wealth as the bottom forty percent of the country, one hundred and twenty-five million people. Right. So the wealth is, is is amassed in a tiny percentage of people, and the the ramifications, you know, the repercussions are throughout the world. They're right. like it, it affects the entire world. So you're not just standing up for us. You're standing up for for everybody and for the society we live in and and, and a sustainable society. You know, and even if we're living well, even if we were all sitting on gold toilets right now, mm-hmm. right. that wouldn't change the fact that we are living in such a way that this earth can't sustain it. It, it will not be able to sustain it uh, forever. And so, the, yeah. the, you know, so it doesn't matter whether we're happy or comfortable or not, which I don't believe we are, but still that's not a reason not to stand up. Um, and then the other thing is, is you said obviously standing up doesn't work, and I don't want to uh, sign on to that. I, I believe that it hasn't worked uh, to some degree, mm-hmm. but uh, two things. One is uh, if you look at Occupy and things like that, it very much has worked in a larger degree than the media wants to admit because Occupy changed the inco- entire conversation in this country from austerity to mm-hmm. income disparity to right. wealth inequality. Mm-hmm. So, And even if that, that argument is now being pushed back towards austerity, it still means that over the course of a month, we changed the entire discussion, despite having all the media against us, changed mm-hmm. the entire discussion in this country, and became the first spontaneous, leaderless, global protest in the history of mankind. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot to be said for that achievement. Um, the, the, the second thing is that, uh, you know, standing up hasn't worked. Uh, it never works until it does. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know... Any, any great protest you've seen in the history of mankind, whether it be, you know, Gandhi or, or civil rights or whatever, mm-hmm. it very much looks like it's not working until it does. Right. I mean, you, easily the, the people of Egypt could have, could have gone home and, and you know, what's, what's happening in Egypt now doesn't, to, in my opinion, that doesn't change the success of getting Mubarak out and, uh, and the people standing up for themselves. But anyway. Uh, right. If they easily could have gone home after the first, uh, uh, you know, set of, of cops or thugs or whatever they were rode through the square mm-hmm. uh, shooting people and p- hitting people with baseball bats and said, you know, standing up doesn't work. Right. But eventually it did. Um, so I think I think that's something we have to keep in mind, that, that standing up never works until it does. So. Yeah, exactly. And, and I didn't mean to – I didn't mean to poo-poo the idea of standing up because obviously I have uh, – I have friends like um, I have friends like Adam Kokesh that are organizing, you know, um, people to just be at the capitals at every state capital on July 4th and just in in a in a peaceful protest and and it's just a protest saying that look we're we're tired of the banks running our country we're tired of the banks sending our troops over to fight unjust wars we're tired of all this stuff and I think that you make a really good point it doesn't work until it works because if you see what happened in Brazil. I mean, they had just a couple thousand people start standing up over, you know, a, a, a minuscule hike in bus fares. Mm-hmm. And now look at it today. There were reports of up to two million people out there because they're pissed off that their government's wasting money. They're bringing the World Cup here, and then, you know, they're giving all this extravagant, you know, praise to the World Cup and, and, the, and the, the Confederate Cup or whatever it's called down there. But then they're neglecting their people. So you're exactly yeah, right apparently. in the fact. Apparently, it's going to cost billions of dollars to bring the World Cup, and meanwhile, they're you know the the, the struggling people struggle even more, and right. uh, and their tax dollars go to pay for that. 
And I think Americans don't realize how similar that is to what we're dealing with because all of these sports stadiums that go in in various cities mm-hmm. are get major tax, uh, you know, they're, they're allowed to avoid taxes. They're, they're given all these all this, you know, tax relief in order to bring these stadiums to these cities, and taxpayers foot the bill. You know, we all end up paying for these stadiums and, and, and sports and everything, and, and not to mention all the other places our, our tax dollars go. But meanwhile, our infrastructure collapses. You right. Know, we, right. We can't, our tax dollars, which, which are paid to help our society, to create a better society for all of us, should go to things like bridges and things we all mm-hmm. use, as opposed to given to uh, owners of sports stadiums. Correct, and then they. I live in Atlanta, so I'm running through this right now. Where the Georgia Dome is, um, I think it's a little bit over like 15 years old, and it just got renovated like five years ago. But now they want to move it, and the stadium's going to cost a billion dollars, literally a, a, an effing billion dollars. And they're trying to figure out where they're going to put this monstrosity. And then you have you know small segments of the population like myself that are going, no, we're, no, I'm not paying for a damn sports stadium right now. Our country is in great peril, and you guys want to spend a billion dollars. But then you have you know people on the other side that that just hear new sports stadium and they don't realize how it's going to affect their pocketbook and their wallet. So it does really you do run the gauntlet of things that we can we can really do here, and whether it's sports stadiums or whether it's the private prisons, those are the things that really drive me nuts. Like the prisons, the way that they've got them set up now in most of these states, they'll they'll make the they'll make the funding public to actually build the prisons, yeah. and then they make the profits private by hiring you know Wackenhut or whatever the fuck they're called now, and they'll bring those guys in, and then they have like insider deals with the municipalities to keep it at 90% occupancy. And then you had this thing come out last night on my Georgia News, and not to bogart the mic or anything, but they're now incentivizing cops to write tickets. And then the, the, right. the, the chief of police comes out and says, well, it's not that we're incentivizing to write tickets. We're incentivizing people to actually show up in court because people are actually beating the system. Well, if you guys wouldn't go out there and revenue generate all day, then then we might be able to make something happen, and you guys didn't buy freaking armored vehicles and parade them down the street like that's freedom, then, right. then we might be in good shape. I right. Mean, uh, the, the, the private prisons is, is horrific, and it's an issue that more of America needs to pay attention to. Um, we have 5% of the world's population and 25% of the world's prisoners, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it's outlandish that this many of our citizens should be put in prison. And it's not just the years you spend in prison, but then once you get out, I mean, you're, you're, it's, it's often on your permanent record. Your you're life screwed. is screwed up. Your family's screwed up. I mean, mm-hmm. not seeing your kids for two years or three years or however many. And then you're trying to get a job with a prison record. It, it just destroys lives. And, and most of this, you know, what I don't know the percentages, but a lot of these are for, you know, small, relatively small levels of, of drug consumption or drug uh, right. uh, uh, use. And, and it, it, you know, my, my opinion is, listen, people have to medicate themselves against life. Seventy percent of America is on prescription pills, which are legal, and then you put the people that are on pot you know, in jail. And what, 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 why is one worse than the other? People are medicating themselves against life because if you don't medicate yourself against life, it flares up and stings like a bitch. Yep. So, you know, different people do different things. I happen to use whiskey. Some people dress up like Power Rangers and hump lampposts. Yeah. I don't think you should make the life's med- life medication illegal. And the NYPD came out recently. The NYPD spent over a million hours over the past decade arresting people for small-level pot consumption, like 25 grams or less, 440,000 arrests. 
because people are smoking a joint. And, and, and the, the same lawmakers that are putting in these private prisons to make the money for their friends and their, you know, their little corporate buddies, yeah. they're the ones passing the laws that put these people in these prisons. Yeah, absolutely. And then you, you have people that, um, uh, the, the pot, the pot deal, and, and everybody knows that, um, I'm a big advocate of, of cannabis just because of the fact that, that it was, it was, it was free. This is what frustrates me, is that people don't understand how it even became illegal. And it became illegal due through, you know, some big lobbyist getting up there and saying that this is this new drug and we got to be terrified of it. And then he puts out all of his propaganda about, you know, um, I can't even remember what. They, they, they probably found one story of a four-year-old who choked on a joint or something. No, it literally came out that he was, <laughs> he was writing stories that were just completely false about people smoking a joint and then hacking up a bunch of people. And he, he, he admitted that to Congress, and he's like, oh, here, look at all these news stories that he had his paid journalists go out and write, you know, fake pieces about it you know this is something that had been you know medicine for 3,000 years and it's one of the best biofuels on the planet it's one of the best textiles on the planet and like you said if we want to try to save this if we want to try to save the world not just looking at it in a myopic perspective let's save the United States because it's so much bigger than that if you want to really transform the world start using hemp instead of cotton I mean, start using hemp instead of corn. I mean, you're actually burning food. This is the craziest shit in the world. You burn food to make oil less expensive, and then it raises oil, and then it raises gas prices. It's just yeah, and speaking, speaking of corn, that's another lobby issue. I mean, because of the corn lobby, we, uh, we like, corn is in three out of every four products mm-hmm. you see in the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Like a, something like a chicken nugget, a McDonald's chicken nugget has something like 30 ingredients and like or 38 ingredients, and like 30 of them are corn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't know why we're still calling it a chicken nugget. I think you should call it a corn nugget with a hint of chicken. <laughs> and some plastic in there for you, too, by the way. There's some plastic in there for and, you as well in the chicken Oh, just so sick. Well, um, anything else you wanted to, uh, to touch on before you go? Um, obviously, promote, um, obviously, you have the website, uh, LeeCamp.net. What other, what other stuff do you got floating around out there? Yeah, LeeCamp.net. My Twitter's at LeeCamp. My Facebook is LeeCampComedian. And uh, I'm creating, I put up two to three free videos a week. Um, we're creating, we just did a successful Kickstarter, raised a lot of money to create a new Moment of Clarity show. So we're in the process of doing that. I have a whole team working on that with me. Awesome. And uh, then I also tour live my schedules at LeeCamp.net, too. Um and yeah, I mean, I think that the last, the last big thing is pretty much everything you and I have talked about, uh, or a lot of it comes down to money and politics. So mm-hmm. everybody should check out Move to Amend, uh, I think it's .com. So Move to Amend, and is that probably, I'm gonna assume it's to, to at least challenge the Supreme Court ruling that corporations are somehow people? Yeah, it's to amend the Constitution uh, to to uh, challenge that and get money out of politics, Citizens United decision, and the, and those kind of things that have allowed uh, this this ridiculous flood of of money into our system. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, something like fifty percent of Congress is millionaires, whereas one percent of the U.S. population is millionaires. Yeah. So it's. It's, we're not being represented. The whole point of Congress, the whole point of our system is that we're represented by, uh, someone who's similar to us, who's, who's our peers, but instead we've 
shifted into plutocracy, which is ruled by the wealthy. Exactly. And, uh, and, cor- and, and corporatism on top of that. So now, um, just out of my curiosity, what would you categorize yourself um, from a political stance? I hate, I hate labels, but obviously um, from, a, from a financial standpoint and also like from, I guess, from a, a currency standpoint, like what do you believe as far as currency goes and economics and also what do you believe from, a, um, from just a pure political perspective? Well, I'm I'm far left. Um, I actually did think that that Obama could create some change in in the first when when he was first elected. Mm-hmm. Um, I I I think I was I was clearly uh, mistaken. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> you know that was that was five years ago. And heaven I, forbid uh, a politician I, lied to you, Lee. Heaven it, forbid a politician lied to you. Yeah, I know. Seriously. Well, there's yeah, there's a great video of uh, of him of the 2007 Obama arguing with the 2013 Obama, <laughs> and it, it's pretty freaking incredible. It's you know it's like him saying no more warrantless wiretapping, no more you know spying on citizens without any reason, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's hysterical. But anyway. Uh, I'm, I'm far left, but, but the thing is, like, I don't think that our polit- I don't think that the two parties that we're allowed to vote for, the Democrats and the Republicans, and keep in mind, everybody should know this because it's sadly still not common knowledge that Jill Stein tried to attend one of the debates and, uh, the Green Party presidential yeah. candidate mm-hmm. and was locked in a basement chained to a chair with an armed guard for the entirety of the debate. Uh, this is a, you know, like 60 year old woman who's about four foot two. I'm mm-hmm. exaggerating, but she's tiny. Yeah. And apparently is such a, a risk, such a threat to our democracy that she, she might get some information out there that doesn't fit in the two party paradigm that she had to be chained to a chair with an armed guard <laughs> while America got to see the two allowable candidates, uh, debate the issues. Um, and you can read that news story, uh, uh, online pretty easily. But, anyway. I, I think it, it comes down to our two parties don't actually represent uh, much of a difference anymore except on certain social issues, you know, like gay marriage. Sure. But for the most part, they're, they're, they're the corporate party. They're a single corporate party. Um, and and the, the outside the corporate party, and this is why I have more in common, even though I'm far left, I have more in common with, say, Ron Paul or something mm-hmm. than I do with a lot of Democrats. And Ron Paul has... You know, even though he runs or ran, or Rand Paul now runs as a as a Republican, they don't like they have less in common with Republicans than you know than than just about anybody. Like right. it doesn't the system doesn't work anymore. It doesn't mm-hmm. actually speak to anything anymore. Uh, the parties don't mean anything anymore. And and so I think we need to start thinking of corporate candidates and non corporate candidates, and that's really where you're going to see a difference. That's, uh, rather that's a really than, good point. Rather than pretending that that the Democrats and the Republicans uh, uh, are going to are going to be different on anything, and you know a great a great place you saw just how bought and sold our Congress is, and this is not taking any stance on the gun issue. This is just this is just going by the polls. Right. That right. apparently background checks. They've done surveys. Background checks, only background checks, are more popular in America than kittens, <laughs> than freaking kittens. All right. <laughs> And 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 yet still, our Congress couldn't pass background checks because they're not representing America. No. If they represented America, that would have gotten through easily. With that would have gotten through with ninety percent of the vote if they represented America. Right. But instead, you have something that's more popular than kittens, and it can't, <coughs> it can't get through Congress. And by the way, the one thing I am happy about that though is I, is I, I am tired of kittens being up on their high horse 
with all their every video they post, get the million views. They are so full of themselves. They're nothing but a pretty face. Absolutely, man. I mean, we work we work hard and try to inform people. We get like three thousand views, and you know, all they got to do is lay on their back and you know put their paws out, and that's a couple million YouTube likes right there. Exactly. But uh, you know, I I appreciate you coming on, man. Um, plug all your stuff one more time, really quick, so we can make sure to get the word out about you. And uh, I'm gonna actually come try to see you in uh, in. Aren't you gonna be in Asheville in July? In July first? Yeah, come on down. Yeah, yeah man. North Carolina. Absolutely, that's a beautiful place. Have you ever been there before? Yeah, once. It is. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, you just want to stay. <laughs> I know. I know. Seriously, it's, it's a wonderful city. But yeah, if people are there, I'll I'll be in Asheville on July first. But all the schedule and the details and everything is at LeeCamp.net. As are the free videos and the free podcast uh, called Moment of Clarity. And uh, I have two comedy albums out uh, that that are far funnier than everything I've said here. <laughs> and uh, and a book as well, Moment of Clarity book that was number five on Amazon's political humor list. It was actually beating Bill Maher for a while, but it was still losing out to Glenn Beck. But I just like that Glenn Beck is now categorized as political humor. Well, it is in my book. I mean, that guy <laughs> went that guy went from morning shock jock to CNN to Fox to to Fox Afternoon to his own show, and now he's all about. Now he's all about conspiracies. He does a really great job of making his making himself some money, though. Any anything that's hot, he can really latch well, onto it. Make a lot of money, but basically, he and some other radio show hosts have learned that they need a conspiracy every day in order to get ratings. Mm-hmm. So you know, one out of every hundred could be true, right. but it they don't differentiate. So just every day, new conspiracy coming out. Oh, absolutely. Or they, or they at least present the paradigm that it could be a conspiracy. But you know, there's good, there's good and bad things to that. I mean, at least you get the people thinking. But you don't want people thinking conspiracy all the time. The real big conspiracy, we both know, is inside of the uh, district of criminals up there. So, as long as we can all work together to change that, and I, I guess I would consider myself an anarcho-capitalist. So. I, I believe that government will be someday obsolete. I think that we're perfectly capable of governing ourselves. And like you said, one of the biggest issues that, that government was supposed to tackle and the reason that corporations were actually invented was to create roads. And so now we have infrastructure problems, and you have every president get up there and talk about it. And I think that you hit on it before. Isn't it like 70% plus that are actually – that the that the of the bridges in America that are obsolete and and are in danger of collapsing. Yeah, there's something like sixty six thousand that are uh, structurally deficit. Oh, that <laughs> everything's fine though, guys. Everything's fine. Don't worry. The government's going to build a new you know two billion dollar drone. And uh, there was an article that came out today about um, this new stealth fighter that they've got, and they said that. Um, they think the Chinese have hacked the uh, the blueprints for it and and stole the uh, the stealth the new stealth plane that was worth a couple million dollars. So, you know everything's fine. They'll just go build a couple million dollar fighters and go over there to Syria and um, you know support freedom over there for them. But meanwhile, here in America, we get uh, we get no freedom, no freedom of speech, and we get no privacy. So, welcome to America, everybody. And I got a little chant here for you, Lee. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but this is a little chant I typically do on the podcast, and this is how we'll end it. Oh yes, that's how everybody reacts to arresting the terrorist up in um, in Boston as they drive black trucks around pointing machine guns at people and dragging you out of your house. So. <laughs> but hey, Lee Camp, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Uh, everybody be sure to follow him on Twitter, support him at LeeCamp.net. And uh, anything else before we go, bud? 
No, that's it. Keep fighting out there. All right, man. Take care. Thanks, for everybody, for listening in. You'll see this podcast on the uh, We Are Not Kettle website, wearenotkettle.net. Also, check it out. I will put it up on the YouTube channel, We Are Not Cattle TV. Thanks so much to our guest, Lee Camp. And uh, like you said, keep fighting out there, everybody. All right, so uh, with me is Lee Camp of LeeCamp.net, and um, once again, activist, writer, um, soon-to-be TV star, maybe, we don't, but uh, (laughs) the producer of the Moment of Clarity, um, one of my favorite um, video snippets, so thanks for the time, man. What's been going on with you and your world uh, over the last couple of weeks? You've been kind of blowing up. No, thanks, man. I appreciate it. yeah, I've been doing all the same things that I've been doing for a while now. Moment of Clarity web series. Uh, we, we we made it into kind of a longer uh, web show that that had interviews with uh, you know some of my heroes, Chris Hedges and Peter Joseph from the Zeitgeist, mo- Zeitgeist movement and uh, Roseanne Barr and some cool people have come on and and uh, we've been doing that. Um, so same other stuff though, performing live a lot, touring a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, got performed in a lot of cool cities everywhere from. Uh, Missouri to LA to Can- uh, Canada to UK. So I've been getting around. What's the What's the most fun thing to do in Missouri? <laughs> yeah, I get get out. <laughs> uh, no, I, I. You know, here's the thing though. Is I because I'm doing my shows in these places, I get to meet the coolest people in the world. So, uh, you know, I, I yes, I was in Missouri, but I was hanging out with the uh, the the awesome people growing their own food in their gardens and shit like that. So. Oh, man, those evil terrorists, those thought criminals. I know. They're food, food terrorists is what they are. And, and honestly, we're not far from, from them being designated food terrorists, considering that if you now currently report on, like, cruelty to animals in factory farming and stuff, they, they call that a terrorist act uh, under the law. It's crazy. Well, factory farming has you know, gotten away with a lot of bullshit for a really long time. I mean, they, they exempt themselves from the regulations and then come after the, the smaller guys and shut them down. And welcome to big government and big corporations working together, as always. Yeah, yeah. They, they have massive pull, you know, just uh, agribusiness, just, just billions of dollars. And, and uh, there, there, aren't that, there aren't that many small farmers left anymore. And the ones that are are quite struggling because, the uh, the big agribusiness guys uh, just destroy everything in their path. Well, the one thing I I really like about what you do is that um, you create, number one, you create memes, which makes it easier for people to start a dialogue. But I think one of the big things is that, um, is at least starting the conversation and first, the, the entire populace has to be aware that they're having issues, that there are major issues that have been covered up for a very long time. Um, one of the things that you and Abby Martin went over that I thought was very um, that I thought was very telling is the amount of money it would take to stop world hunger, and I think that most people would agree that hey that sounds like a good idea I would love to stop world hunger, but then they run into this paradigm of well as long as you get it from somewhere else and it's not coming from my pocket, but I think that that's the one thing that we're going to have to change as a, a society and it's just a a mental construct is to say that. 
we're going to have to do something about this. This has to change. Yeah, I mean, for, for one thing, in a lot of ways, it is coming from your pocket because when people are hungry and need to go to government assistance and, and are struggling and, and, you know, often people who are starving and homeless end up committing crimes because it's the only way they can live. So this stuff does come back to bite you. I think people think, oh, well, it, it's, it's happening over there and I don't have to deal with it. But it impacts your life. And the worse it gets here in the U.S., the worse it's going to be for people. And so it does, it does come out of your pocket. It does affect your life. But, yeah, the, the numbers are staggering. I mean, they're mind-blowing. The, the U.N. estimates that it would take – these are the numbers you're talking about. It would take $30 billion a year to get rid of world hunger. Now, to put that in perspective, the Koch brothers themselves have $50 billion. Um, it fluctuates depending on stock market, but around $50 billion. The, uh, but, but, but do you think they're using that money to, uh, to, to feed the world? Uh, no, they, they, they wouldn't give a tip of a turd to, to help feed people. They'd rather invest in uh, corporations gutting people's lives. Um, and another number that came out recently is if you added, you added up all the money held in U.S. millionaire households, so above a million dollars, it's $50 trillion, mm-hmm. um, $11 trillion of that in off- offshore tax havens. But it's just an insane amount of money that we can't even uh, comprehend. And that's not even including the people that are part of the Federal Reserve System that actually get to print the money for themselves. And then they are exempt from all these regulations, and like you said, tax havens and so on and so forth. And then they use divide and conquer strategy to do like what you said. The Koch brothers don't use that money to go around and be charitable. They use it for their own little mechanized strategy in order to make more money. They use it for division. They use it for favors. They use it for anything that they can do to gain leverage. And speaking of divide and conquer, you know, they're a good example because they have at various times funded both the Democrats and the Republicans. They, they, they more heavily fund the Republicans, but they, you know, $100,000 of Koch brother money created the, uh, I think it's called the DCCC, which is where Bill Clinton got his start. Um, and, and so these guys are funding both sides because creating a, a corporatocracy, you know, a, a, a power elite on both parties, um, means that whether one party or the other is in control, they're still in control. The Koch brothers are still in control. Um, so that, that's the first thing. And the other thing is uh, gridlock. Gridlock is perfect for corporations. It's perfect for the Koch brothers. If things are jammed up and there's no change, then the corporate pillaging can continue. Absolutely. And getting back to what you said earlier, it's just like uh, Barack Obama, the main donors from Barack Obama this year were – were both, you know, were basically Wall Street funding. So, I mean, they were funding him, they were funding Mitt Romney, so either way, their guy wins. And it's never, it's, it's never, or at least it hasn't been since probably the 1950s, it hasn't been about the people. And the people keep believing in the system and believing that, well, if we just do this, if we just vote for this guy, but they don't realize that it's a rigged casino to begin with. And what's interesting is, and I'm not claiming to, that I was smart enough to do this, but there are a few people who are smart enough to do this. If you put together the, if you, if you connect the dots, you can see before these people become president why they're allowed to become president. Um, you know, with Barack Obama, for example, I think a lot of people, and, and I was one of them for a little while, um, thought there would be at least more change under him because uh, – he was kind of a, a no, a, you know, a no name at, at the beginning. He came out of the blue. He he got into Chicago Senate uh, and was only there for a few years, and then running for president. And so people thought, okay, this guy's 
kind of outside the system. He hasn't been there forever. But if you really connect the dots, he was uh, he he had the backing of Robert Rubin, the former Treasury Secretary, the guy who uh, forced through the destruction of Glass Steagall that allowed the banks to gamble with your money to an extent larger than we'd ever seen before. Um, he had the backing of, of those type of people, even in his Senate days, the Chicago Senate days. So yeah. he, he got that backing early on, and that's when Wall Street knew, okay, we can get behind this guy. And without that, you don't see these guys, you don't see anyone getting very far in the presidential uh, race unless they have that backing. Exactly. And then you look at the two people that they're trying to tout for 2016, and you have Hillary Clinton and you had Chris Christie, like up until a couple of months ago, where all of that stuff came out about him. But like you said, you don't get to be in that level of politics until you get the blessing from the corporatocracy and the ruling elite. You just don't. It's, it's just not the way that our society functions. So what is the remedy for things like this? Is it just you know, getting people to quote-unquote wake up, and I hate that term, but is it getting people to pay attention to um, real ideolo ideological changes as far as how we view our world, our worldview, or does it rest in the, in the arms of the, the balloteers and the people going and actually running for Congress and things like that? Well, it's, it's all of the above. I mean, it needs to be an all of the above change, but in terms of politicians, the number one thing that needs to change is money in the system. If you could get money out of the system, then you, you couldn't carpet bomb a city with endless ads that people believe. People think they don't believe the ads. Everyone thinks they're smart enough to only believe what they think they believe and not be influenced. It's bullshit. We're all influenced. It influenced. If you're watching a lot of ads, if you're even taking them in in the side of your eyes, then it is impacting you. It may, you know, there's greater and lesser extent, but... Until you get money out of the system, you're never going to change much about these politicians. Now, outside of that, it is about waking up in the sense of becoming informed, and that is happening. It's happening slowly, but it is happening, and it's because people are getting their news from a lot of outside sources, and that is it's creating a debate, even if people are running around trying to say, oh, Snowden's a traitor. No, he's not a traitor. No, he, he did the right thing. Oh, it, even if it is a lot of chaos and a lot of debate, there, that debate is there. Whereas I think 50 years ago, you would have seen the newspaper say Snowden's a traitor, and that would have been the end of the debate. Absolutely. Or even back in the, even back in the early, early 90s and late 80s, it was, it was super controlled, you know, to the point where people were believing that um, – that that Reagan was, or now it's now it's completely flipped on its head. That now you have like um, hindsight politics, where Reagan was this great guy, and it was like, no, if you really look at his policies, it was it was completely opposite from what you believe it is. Like you said, it's been parroted through the media so much, and maybe from mostly from Fox News, and they understand that their listeners have a forty-five second attention span, and they can just you know drill them every forty-five seconds, it, and they'll figure. It, it out. But actually, the the moment I remember just. I don't know, it really hit me like a slap in the face how much history is, is doctored and changed and, and altered. It wasn't Fox News. It was Anderson Cooper hosting the, uh, the presidential debate. I don't remember which year, a while ago. And they're in the Reagan Library, and he's sitting out there for the debate, and he goes, he's at the podium, and he goes, now I have here Ronald Reagan's diary. I don't want to touch it. I'm afraid to touch it. As if, and then he asked some question about Reagan and everything. As if Reagan was Jesus, 
And this is, this is a supposedly unbiased journalist from CNN, not Fox News. And you're like, how? This guy, Reagan left office under a cloud of scandal. How can you, right. like, it, it blew my mind, the level of, like, oh, remember our old Messiah, Reagan? You're like, what yeah. are you talking about? And, and, but I think people are, despite all that shit, I think people are beginning to, to open their eyes a little bit. I think, uh, you know... Uh, with not, it's not to say like Syria is some kind of walk in the park, but it's some kind of wonderland. But the fact that we didn't bomb Syria, it's the first time, and we may still push for it again, but oh, it's sure. the first time. Or Iran, or Iran whoever's. Or Iran, there. but it's the first time I've ever seen uh, our war machine, our media and military war machine get in high gear. I mean, we're talking high gear and start pushing a bombing that they then had to back down from because of enough of America was able to find out at least enough of the truth to be like, wait, why do we need to bomb the shit out of these people? And, uh, and it's the first time I've ever seen that. And I think it's because people are not just getting their, their truth, their reality from two channels. And, and that's a good way to put it because, you know, truth is, truth is concrete and truth is what's happening currently. And most people would mix words with they say that is reality. It is not. Truth will always be the truth. It is what's happening currently. It's not about the past or the future. It's what it's about currently. Reality is where we run into the blurry lines like we were talking about before, where people will project a reality through this gaslighting technique that's used on Fox and all these other stations where they would come out. And this happened to the American public for a long time in the American psyche where they would just say weapons of mass destruction, weapons of mass destruction. It would be everywhere. They would just gaslight the public using military warfare tactics onto the public, and they would just go around parrot it. And like you said, now they still try that, where they, com they created a false debate with Snowden and said, well, is he a traitor or is he a whistleblower? Is he a leaker? Is he this? So they tried to create the false debate, but like you said, the American people came through and said, no, 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 that's not the debate. The debate is what the fuck are you guys doing? Right. Yeah. 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 It still amazes me the people who are like, who are like, oh, he's a traitor. Oh, he's a traitor. He failed. He failed. He's a loser. He's a loser. I'm like, I'm like someone telling you 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 see it's on fire, and you turn back and go, hold on, didn't you fail out of college? I'm not falling for this. Doesn't yes. matter. It's like it, 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 you, you're absolutely ignoring the largest surveillance infrastructure ever created in mankind's history, taking away a right we've had for you know hundreds of years, and and that's the debate. The, a, a right, mind you, that that most of our founding fathers actually got and took up arms over and started killing people over because. That's they started having soldiers colder than their homes, and they're like, I don't have any privacy, so I'm gonna go and take arms and go meet my friends at the corner, and we're gonna start shooting some red coats. Right. right. That's, I, I, that's the other thing I've always tried to say is where it says in the Constitution that you don't have to uh, uh, have have a quarter soldiers in your home. I don't think it was just that they didn't want the guy sleeping in bed with them. I think it was no. also they didn't want to be watched 24/7, which. Hey, got a stamp yeah. on this thing? No, no, no crown stamp. All right. Maybe it, was, maybe it was about a little bit more than just, I don't want to have to change the sheets on the bed for the soldier. Right. But, uh, you know, it's a, it's a really good point. And like you were saying before, history gets tainted. And um, what, we do have to, what we do have to understand is that when we're, when we're going to bring somebody truth, 
You have to bring it to them, number one, in a context that they can understand. In, in terminology, the grammar, logic, and rhetoric has to be there for you to be able to, to basically break them out of their mold and make them defend their argument with facts. Because what has happened when you try to get somebody to defend their argument with facts, and I don't know if you've run into this before, but I've tried unlocking many people's minds, and they'll get into the emotional downfall that is their ideology, or like we were talking about before, their perceived reality. And once you challenge their reality, they have an emotional flash to it, and they're going to defend it, and they're going to defend it with emotion and not facts. It's like, well, I don't, I don't have any hide. Really? You've never, you know, once had your browser go haywire and end up on a porno site? They could use that against you. It's just like, come on, yeah, man. How do you understand the fundamental right Yeah, there's, there's two things with the NSA surveillance that even if you're one of those people, or, oh, I don't have anything to hide, there's two things you should consider. One is that you could love Obama. You could consider Obama as the best president we've ever had. And maybe you even love the next people that might be president. Maybe you love Hillary Clinton. You love fucking, I don't know, Jeb Bush, whoever the fuck. Even if you love all those people and you think they're wonderful and you don't mind them having control of this massive surveillance infrastructure, what happens when a dictator does get into power? What happens when someone you think is horrible does get into power? All of a sudden, it is a dictator's toolkit that is at their disposal. That's what, they're, that's what you're giving them right now. So that's point one. And point two is exactly what you just said. When people say they have nothing to hide, this stuff, everything you've ever done can be used in, from the past when you're under suspicion. So let's say right now you say you have nothing to hide. Next week you go to a protest. All of a sudden you're under suspicion. Now they can go back 10 years and find where you skipped out on something on a tax form and use that against you or whatever. No, that's very, very true. And, you know, one of the things that I think is very good is the, is the movement that's happening tomorrow with Reddit and a couple of other, um, like the ACLU and a couple of other big-name um, big websites, and that they're going to use it as a day to unify and protest against the NSA surveillance. Everybody's, you know, putting these banners up on their website and, and showing people that we do have unity because what happens in the society for some reason is that we, when we look for truth and we start speaking out, you feel like you're isolated on an island every once in a while. I can't even imagine what it was like for you getting up and doing comedy about this kind of stuff. Because it must have been like, oh, here we go. Let's see if they buy it. Let's see what's going on. But um, when you go out and try to explain to people what's going on or when you do these things, you, you feel like you're isolated. But now with big, you know, bigger conglomerates coming out and showing that this is, this is the wrong way to approach it, that we need to unify and just get behind it. And I don't know if legislation is the answer. Encryption, I, for one, don't want any part of the government having anything to do with me. I don't care if a private corporation gets it and then they have to file motions through a court, not some rubber stamp FISA court, but a real court in order to get stuff on me. So, I mean, what do you say about all this? I mean, I just ranted for a little bit, but this is something that really pisses me off. It really does. Yeah, as well it should. Um, yeah, I, you know, there's a lot of steps that need to be taken. Uh, Legislation is one of them. Um, you know, various services that are coming out that, uh, that are kind of the anti-Facebook and that they don't sell all your data, they don't give everything uh, to people. Uh, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of steps that need to be taken. So moving on, what do you see in the future for the United States? Um, are you seeing a, an awakening from 
from all branches? Are you seeing an awakening from like all people, individuals, all ages, races, shapes, sizes, all that stuff? Or is it, or is it um, mostly the youth that's starting to figure out how the system really scammed them with the college education, the underwater basket weaving degree that they got? Now they can't get a get a job at like Quick Trip. Yeah, it's it's going to keep getting worse in in multiple ways. I mean, in terms of the environmental suicide we're creating, the uh, the the economic suicide, the the in- continued debt enslavement that you just mentioned, all these things are, are going to get worse and. And the, uh, you know, the, the re- part of the reason that these degrees, these college degrees aren't helping people is because there's, there's going to continue to be fewer and fewer jobs. Um, you know, robots and computers are literally taking away all the jobs, even the more complex ones. I mean, it's, we're five years from most waiters, most service jobs being done by robots, I'm sure. You know, a lot of the jobs um, in the, the Amazon warehouses where you used to run around and pick up products to ship, they're, they're now done by robots. So all those shit's going to disappear. All those jobs are going to disappear. Now, here's the thing. That should be a good thing for mankind if we behaved like rational beings and allowed the, the decrease in work to uh, be shared, that bounty, the fact that work can be done by machines to be shared amongst everybody, you know, you, like you'd get paid as much as you got paid for five hours, you'd get paid for four hours because a robot does the rest of the work. But instead, all of that savings, all the time savings, the, the wealth savings, it's all going to the top, and people need to wake up. They need to, they, they, they need to become aware of these things and become aware of the fact that we have to live in a different way. We have to live in a way where our, we, we do consider our environment. We do consider what's sustainable. We do consider the fact that, that nowadays in order, to, you know, in order to fucking buy a table, it's been you know, cut down in God knows where, somewhere in Canada, shipped to Japan to be or China to be put together, then shipped back to the U.S., and then you buy it here in the U.S., and then it falls apart in six months. And the amount you spend on shipping it around the world and the amount you spend on having a table that only lasts six months, we can't, we can't sustain that way. It's impossible. So, I mean, this really does bring us kind of full circle in what we were talking about earlier in, in just a shift, of, a shift of psyche or a shift of, of worldview. I think that, um, once again, one of the things that your memes do so well is it gets people the facts very quickly. And I think that, you know, it's going to take all of our efforts to get people to engage in, in these issues because, like you said, world hunger is an issue. You know, 25,000 people a day die of starvation. That's absolutely stupid. There should be no reason that 25,000 people a day on this planet die from, from lack of food and lack of nourishment, bad water, all these other things. Environmental issues are all huge. So... I think that as soon as we can get the American public, and it really does hinge on us, and I hate to say that because looking around sometimes it's kind of, it's kind of a dreary, you know, it's a really, really dreary town out there, but it really will hinge on us to, to band together and understand that these are real-world issues and that we have to acknowledge that there's a problem first, come up with an idea of how to solve the problem, and then implement it. It's not very difficult but yet, for some reason, people don't want to take the step to acknowledge that there are issues. 
So how do we get them to acknowledge, other than the things that you're doing, other than the things that I'm doing, what's the best way to get people to acknowledge that I, they're I issues? think people deep down know their issues. I mean, I think... I think of course. Even, of course. They won't admit it right, to themselves. I think even if I'm you were to ask a Wall Street trader whether he thought the current system could last forever, I think... You know, and I've talked to a couple that were willing to admit that it's not sustainable. They they just want to get as much money as they can in, before the building burns down. So I I think that most people know that. The problem is that I think it's it's twofold or maybe more than that. But one of the big things is that they're trying to deal with their day to day. They're trying to make enough money to eat tomorrow. So you know, protesting whether it be online or in the streets or whatever is is not something that they're uh, able or willing to take the time to do. I think that that's part of it. And I think there's a big amount of learned helplessness. I think that you know, every time there's a protest, they're told by the media that it's useless and it's a disaster and look how silly these people are marching out here and they, they don't know what they're talking about. And, and so every protest, and that, that's why Occupy scared the fuck out of them is because it looked like a protest movement that hadn't learned its helplessness, hadn't learned its place. Um, and and right. so I think that those type of things need to continue in order to make people realize that, that protests can work. And it, and it does work in a lot of things. You know, you, uh, you look at things like knocking down, and this, this speaks to uh, what's going to happen tomorrow, uh, February 11th, but you look at the things like knocking down the SOPA and PIPA bills that were going to infringe on the Internet freedom, um, that was defeated by, by protesters, by people uh, realizing that we're not helpless, we can make a change. Now, does that mean corporations then give up? Do they then go, "Oh, looks like they looks like they want uh -oh. their free internet. Let's move on." They go to the <laughs> next way to do it, you know. And their next way this time is the Trans-Pacific Partnership, and that very well could be defeated as long as people keep waking up to uh, to what it is. But. So, I mean, if we're sitting here at the precipice of of human consciousness, if you will, because we are on a very enlightening path, which is, I mean, the Internet gives us the ability to see other people's worldview, other people's point of view, other people's take on stuff. It, like you said earlier, it gives you the ability to, within an hour, learn about um, everything about Barack Obama, their past, all of these different tools that we can use in order to make informed decisions and, and make intellectual changes in our life with with using intellectual self-defense like the Trivium method and understanding how that works and applying that to day-to-day -day life. Now, um, before we let you go, what are, what are the biggest things that you think are coming down the pipe as far as being, being active and being aware of? Obviously, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, have we seen that die off yet, or is that just kind of in the, uh, in the icebox and they're ready to roll that thing no, out whenever? No, it certainly has not died. Um, they're, they're having trouble getting fast-tracked through, which would make it a lot easier easier for them to get it through. So uh, that, you know, it's possible that that could die, but it, Fast Track is not the end of it. And they have spent over six years, uh, you know, 600 corporate lobbyists have spent over six years making sure this thing happens. So they're not going to give up on it easily. Um, and, and for those who, who don't know, Trans-Civic Partnership is the largest trade deal ever seen. And, uh, you know, NAFTA lost 2.5 million jobs alone, and this is considered NAFTA on steroids. It, it, uh, it, Alan Grayson has seen the bill and says it, uh, it cedes our, our sovereignty as a country to corporations. So that's what we're dealing mm -hmm. with. Um, yeah, that's a massive one. Another massive one is the, the continued fight for Internet freedom or uh, net neutrality, as, as it's called. They're, they're going to keep 
trying to find ways to subvert that um, for a couple of reasons. One is because the freedom of the Internet is making people aware of all these things, and that that scares the shit out of the power elite, so they, they would like to find ways to decrease that awareness, which getting rid of net neutrality would be one of them. Um, a, another sure. reason that corporations don't want Internet freedom is because a corporation like Walmart could benefit hugely if their website was 100 times faster than your mom and pop shop's website. So that's sure. another reason that they will keep fighting to, uh, to take away Internet freedom. Well, I mean, we, we do face an uphill battle, man, and it's, um, I, I guess, um, I, I don't know, what would, your, what would your political ideology be? Would you be considered, I, I hate labels, but, I mean, for, for, for the sake of argument, you would, you would obviously be a little bit left of center, I would assume. <laughs> yeah, I, do, I don't subscribe to an ism, but I, I'm, I'm definitely far left. I, I think that, you know, people who continue to fully support Obama are are lefties that don't want to dig deeper. They don't want to keep looking at the reality. Um, you know, I, I would have loved if he had been a true left president, but instead he's not, you know, he's not even Republican light. I, I've called him Republican light for a long time, but he's, it's just a, it's a corporate leadership. I mean, he's, 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 he's a greater prosecution of whistleblowers than ever before, more drone bombings, obviously, more taking away of American rights. I mean, the fact that he's willing to talk about assassinating, this is in the news today, assass possibly assassinating an American citizen without a trial or charges for pre-crime reasons, you know, because he might do something down the road, is, is far, that's going far beyond what, what Bush did in terms of that type of thing. Um, but so yeah, I, all I'm saying is, is I don't, I don't, I try not to subscribe to an ism, but I, I am far left. I'm actually on the Green Party shadow cabinet. They have a commissioner of comedic arts, um, but that you know, I, I try to look at each politician for their own merits, and and if someone in the Green Party is someone that I can get behind, then I will. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think people have to have to just read up on things and learn about things and decide case by case whether it, it fits with their worldview. Um, something else I wanted to mention in terms of what's coming down the pike is, uh, and I don't know whether this will be big, maybe it will, maybe it won't, but uh, the, the worldwide wave of action is, is what some people are calling the next step for Occupy and, and uh, the people who became activated by Occupy. And it's not an occupation because occupation was a tactic and tactics need to change. It's uh, basically, all kinds of action over a three-month span starting April 4th going to July 4th in terms of various ways of protesting uh, corporations and, and, and a variety of topics, but everything from, you know, hacktivism to boycotting certain companies to, uh, to calling your congresspeople to actually marching in the streets. And, uh, they, you know, they have websites and videos and everything. Worldwide. I think it's, uh, it's like waveofaction.org or whatever, but if people Google Worldwide Wave of Action, they'll find it. And uh, it, it, who knows? You, you know, it, it might not be big, but nothing's, no, nothing actually makes a difference until it does. So. Absolutely, and, and nothing makes a difference. Like, you know, it's, there, there is no silver bullet to, to defeating the beast that we, do, we all face, which is, you know, state-run corporatocracy for the most part. And so there's nothing that we can do, and there's not one march that we can all have, and then it will all go away. Just like you said, there's not one legislation piece that we can pass. And I think that people are starting to really become aware that that um, that freedom and um, 
and uh, and liberty are those things that you're going to have to fight for, and you're not going to have to – you can't stop because we basically let off the gas from, like, the late 80s all through the 90s, and everybody's just like, ah, oh, we're the good guys. We don't do anything bad. Nothing will ever happen here. And then you turn around like, oh, shit, my government's spying on me. We're, we're launching wars for no reason. What the hell is going on? And so now I think that that's the state that we're in. And I guess I would consider myself, well, philosophically, I'm an anarcho-capitalist, so complete opposite end of the spectrum of you. But we have tons in common, people, and that's why I want people to understand that whether you're on one end of the spectrum or the other, it doesn't really matter. You have human needs, and we have human intuition that needs to take place here. And then we can infight about what kind of political system or whatever we want to have later, but we're facing right. a lot I mean, of that's tough the thing shit. Is, is because they've tried to define us in red team and blue team America, they, people haven't stopped to think about the fact how, how much we agree on so many of these things. And that's why these parties don't seem to make any sense anymore. That's why you can see like a Ron Paul running in the Republican Party when, you know, half the time I agree with Ron Paul and I never agree with anybody else in the Republican Party. So, it, like, it doesn't make any sense. You know, you have Green Party candidates that aren't allowed in the Democratic anything, you know. even weren't even allowed to come in and right, compete they, in the debate. And they yeah, yeah, yeah. Jill through, Stein was, like, hand, was arrested. She's like, oh, yeah, what, like, five foot nothing. nothing. She's handcuffed to a chair underneath the debates and released after they're over, as if she was going to go running in and spread truth in front of the audience. It was horrible. <laughs> It, it, I mean, it, it, so they, these parties don't mean anything. They only mean the thing they, that these two parties mean is simply corporate rule. That is, they, they agree on that 90% of the time, every, every step of the way, and that is what they have in common, and that is why they're the two parties that are allowed on that debate stage. That's right. Which, which flavor of cyanide do you guys want? Here we go. We got red and we got blue. Right. Well, anything else you want to plug before you go, man? I kept you a little over, but uh, thank you so much for the time. Uh, anything no else you got? Uh, yeah, I mean, people go to LeeCamp.net or Facebook.com slash LeeCampComedian. Um, they will find all my stuff. I'm, I'm updating daily, and I have a podcast. I have a web series. It's all free up there. I have uh, comedy albums and a book out. And, uh, yeah, I'm working on that TV show. We should have details for you um, in uh, – late february probably so late this month um yeah but uh i cool. really appreciate it and and uh keep doing what you're doing keep keep spreading truth that's what it's all about man and i'll um i'll have you back up in a month so once the uh once you're free to chat about the the television show i'm looking forward to that man and um always a pleasure having you on once again lee camp of lee camp.net okay, take care buddy